Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less. This is a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley, a.k.a. Podcast Boy, <laughs> and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, David. It's been so long. It has been a long while, Max, so how are you going? I'm doing great. Um, we'll get into this, obviously, very soon, but the Suns are actually not horrible, David. Yep, from a basketball perspective, we're both doing uh, a little better than probably what we were pre-All-Star break, which was, uh, I guess the last time we, we did a podcast was, I think, on the Saturday of All-Star weekend, if my memory serves me correctly. So, uh, Phoenix by name and by nature as well, it seems, that the team is definitely doing a little better than what it was earlier in the season. And that's the focus today, David. We're going to spend the entire time catching up with the team. It's been a couple of weeks and a lot has happened. Uh, we're going to try to touch on every single player on the team, David. We are. We're going to try to talk about you know, what we've seen from them over the past couple of weeks, what's changed, what hasn't. A lot has changed. Uh, and, of course, a lot has stayed the same. Uh, I also I solicited some last-minute questions from uh, some of my followers on Twitter mm-hmm. that we're going to sprinkle in. Uh, they, all, they all fit into the theme. So th- that, those are going to be in there. Uh, some of you asked about the draft, things like that. We're not going to really get into that, so uh, sorry if we don't get to your question. This is really going to focus more on the team. We're going to have a whole off-season of podcasts focus on off-season things like the draft and trades and free agency. So uh, this team's too good right now to talk about off-season stuff, although I'm sure there'll be some things sprinkled in there around how you build around what I guess we're currently building with this team, Max. Yeah, exactly. We'll get into uh, like you know how do we resign certain guys. Not, not in depth, but just sort of like how we're building it around, because that's, that's focused on the team. What I mean more is like we're not going to talk about like who should the Suns draft at six or things like that. Yeah. All right, David. Uh, why don't you head us to uh, maybe the least depressing recap in the history of our podcast? <laughs> yeah, the team's managed to to keep the back end of the season interesting for us, Max. So uh, we're recording straight after the Rockets' loss, unfortunately, but that places the Suns at sixteen and fifty four after tonight's game, which is last in the conference and division, but not last in the league anymore, Max as we have been in many of these recaps in the past. But, you know, I might start doing tank updates as well. I think, Max, it's probably worth adding for the last 15 or so games of the season. Phoenix sit currently second, I believe, in the the lottery odds, which means we've got a 14% chance at Zion, a 52.1% chance at a top four pick, but therefore still a 47.9% chance of it being pick five or pick six in the draft, Max. But more importantly, Phoenix are five and six since the All-Star break, Max, and since we last recorded, as we noted before. So maybe that's telling us something about when we should record and when we shouldn't, (laughs) Max. I don't know. Maybe we were the curse on this team all along. But wins against the Lakers, Milwaukee, 
Golden State, Miami, and the New York Knicks. So it's kind of exciting to, to talk about this team as we're going to now, Max. It really is. And one of those losses we just witnessed, it was, a, it was a close loss to the Rockets, which I took more good away from than bad, I would say. You know what, let's, let's, let's start right there, David. Um, I don't want to focus too much on the Rockets game just because it just happened. Yep. But I do want to start there. We're, we're going to start with Booker and Aiton. Uh, and we'll start with Booker. I kind of thought he put on a pretty reasonable James Harden impression in the third quarter of that game. Yep. When our offense was dragging, and we'll get into this a little more later, it would drag a lot uh, in the second half. Mm-hmm. He really was carrying it, and a lot of it was him just getting to the foul line sort of the way James Harden does. Yeah, things kind of stagnated at different patches of that game, and Booker took over. You know, he did at the very end as well and, and nearly got us back in it there. You know, mm-hmm. there was obviously some good defense for some from some others, you know, Kelly Oubre uh, at the head of that, but... Uh, as far as buckets goes, it, it was all coming from Devin Booker. He got us back within two, down six late in the game. And as you said, was doing his own Harden impersonation in the third quarter when we were struggling for buckets as well. So, you know, my main note about Booker since we last recorded is that, you know, he's got his fingerprints over all of the Suns' wins and, and even some of the losses. And yep. uh, tonight's game against the Rockets was no different, Max. People want to call him not a winning player. Like, I, he has been the reason this team has turned around more than anything else. Uh, there, there have been other reasons, too. The, the defense from guys like Oubre and Mikel's been nice. Aiton's been better. We'll get into that soon. But more, more than anything, it's been Booker's finally healthy. And when your best player is, you know, actually being your best player, it helps, David. It really does. And, you know, the note that I've got here, the first note is, you know, healthy exclamation point, because, you know, that is the most important yeah. point with Booker right now is since uh, the All-Star break, uh, not playing in anything other than than doing the uh, three-point contest, uh, he, he seems to have got himself healthy, a little bit of rest, and, you know, the burst in the Utah game that we saw in a, in a play that I tried to highlight and a lot of people highlighted oh, was, man. was probably front and center there. But a bit of a small sample size alert, but, you know, in the 10 games since the All-Star break and, and not using the Rockets game tonight, he's up to 35.5% from three, which isn't amazing, but it's up from 32 earlier in the season. And he's up to 82 free throw attempts a game and shooting 93.9% on those. He was 6.1 pre-All-Star break, which was already great for him. But I guess segueing off that Harden stuff that we saw tonight, he is getting to the line a lot and he's got his fingerprints, as I said, over all of the Suns' wins and close losses since the All-Star break. Yeah, those those two last stats you, you mentioned about his free throw shooting, both the quantity and the quality, yep. that, that's really demonstrating the health board or anything else isn't it? Uh, he's getting to the line just by being aggressive and having that burst and, and being sort of unstoppable with the ball in his hands going towards the bucket. But to me, even equally as impressive and equally as indicative of his health is the fact that he, what did he make, like 42 straight or something like that? Was it 48 straight? Something like and that, yeah, yeah. Something like that, yeah. That shows you that he is feeling good throughout the game, right? A lot of times you miss those free throws because you're fatigued. And, and he wasn't doing that. He, he, you know, he's mentally as, as well as physically, he is healthy right now. He's feeling good about himself, and I think that it's it's sh- shining through. And I think this is probably the time to, to segue into the Golden State game, David. Yep. I called that the best performance of his career. 30. I know that sounds crazy because, real quick, I just want to say because of the 70-point game, but yeah, go ahead. 37, 8, and 11, 13 of 23, and 9 of 9 from the free throw line in that game, Max. So, yeah, I think it's got a pretty good case 
particularly coming out with the win of being one of, if not the best Booker game in his career. Yep, and the context being it's on the road in Golden State against a full-strength Golden State team until Kevin Durant went down late. Yep. Uh, and also, within the context of the Suns were, were about to, to lose that game, They were the Golden State avalanche started. And then Devin Booker decided to score 13 straight points for the Suns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many of them ridiculous <laughs> shots over Clay Thompson and such. And, and man, it, it just shows you... Sometimes I think when the, we get lost in the morass of the Suns season, we, we forget what a preternatural offensive talent Devin Booker actually is yeah. at 22 years old. Like, there there really aren't any... There aren't any guys his age or younger who, who can do what he did in that fourth quarter. That 13 straight points thing. That's like there are guys who can do that in the league. You know, James Harden can do that. Bradley Beal can do that on his best night. But those guys are in their primes. Yep. Nobody can do that at Devin Booker's age. And that's why when I, I'm sorry, quick tangent on Danny LaRue, because I, <laughs> I unfortunately listened to the Dunkdown podcast talk about the worst contracts in the league. And to their credit, they didn't say Devin Booker was a, a bad contract yet. But they did say something like, what if they trade him to like a better offense? And when Devin Booker's in a better offense, he's really just a sixth man. And, uh, man, I, I don't know how you can watch things like that Golden State fourth quarter for, from a 22-year-old and think that guy's ever going to be a... Uh, I was going to curse there. I'm trying to stop. Uh, a sixth man. <laughs> and you would have thought that Danny LaRue would have watched that game as well, uh, being a, a someone who covers the Golden State Warriors. So not really sure where he's coming from there. Well, but... I'm, a, I'm a weirdo, and I, I'm just like obsessed with this crap. So I actually went to his timeline, even though I don't follow him. After the game, and he, I guess, was on vacation or something. That's uh, the one game he didn't watch. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Maybe if he saw that, it would be a little bit different after. Yeah, Booker really dismantled the Warriors there uh, with that little run. And the added context, too, you know, I was going to mention before, Portland was probably the worst game in this little stretch after the All-Star break. And the Golden State game was a back-to-back to that game of which the whole team responded, which is great to see. And, you know, that's just the overall response here from this team after losing the Cleveland and Atlanta game straight out of the All-Star break. Things could have gone badly really, really quickly, Max. And the team's really turned it around. And I guess to round out the Booker stuff, you know, I've got in my notes here, I've mentioned it a couple of times already how much he's had his fingers all over these wins. But, you know, Miami... He was in foul trouble. I remember Daniels went off a little bit, but you know Booker still top scored in that game with 20 points and had nine assists and only four turnovers in that game. The Lakers one was kind of all about DeAndre Ayton, and he, he kind of deferred to Ayton a little bit with the game plan that they had for that Lakers game, but he really stabilized the team in that one, I thought, and played 40 minutes in that one, which we shouldn't mm-hmm. you know discount. He's playing very high minutes in all of these wins, clearly the most important player on the team. The Milwaukee one's obviously... He had seven assists in that game to five different guys. I, I tried to, you know, highlight that in our seven play stuff on our Twitter yeah, account. Yeah, I thought you did a great job with that one, David, because I was at that game and Aiton got a lot of pub. I think Uber got a lot of pub after that one, but Booker really, his, his performance was undersold. He was awesome in that game. It was just a passing clinic. You know, they, they had a defensive game plan built around Devin Booker. You could tell it, and he just got everyone in the game, found everyone in their spots, and that that one was just awesome. The New York game, obviously 41 points, 6 threes, still can't (laughs) break that 6-3 barrier. Shout out Chris Hansen. But, you know, they did a great job with a lot of set plays in that one. Um, and, and, you know, he capitalized that. And then, as you said, the Golden State won 37, 8, and 11 and pulled out the win in that one as well. So pretty much every win since the All-Star break and some close losses too. It, it's all been the Devin Booker show and he's dragging everyone along with him, which is just great to see. Yeah, it really is. And another thing about Booker too, um, last point we'll make on him probably and then maybe we'll go to Aiton. The leadership. You can... 
really see, and I, I did see uh, Acom and Creeper on Twitter, who, who's great, uh, sort of made fun of the fact that Booker was yelling at, uh, I think it was Bridges and Jackson tonight, mm-hmm. uh, for, for missing defensive rotations or something. It's like, man, Booker, you're really not the guy to be yelling about that. But you know what? <laughs> he is the guy to be yelling about that. I don't care if he's good at it or not. Like, he's the leader. And he and he's being the leader lately. You can really you can feel a change in his demeanor. Yeah. Uh, I, I Aiton. I don't know if you saw this. Aiton, there was a uh, video. I can't remember which game it was after. It might have been after the uh, the Knicks game. Mm-hmm. But Aiton was just like raving about Booker's leadership, about how his demeanor on the court and how it, it, he just kind of kept the entire team in line. Yep. And and really, that's the next step for Devin Booker. Like, I I really never kind of thought that was in him. He seems like a laid back guy. But if Devin Booker can become that kind of leader, then that that's really uh, it pretends well for the future of this team. Yeah, and I think he's always had it in him. I think there's been a few things, you know, obviously being such a young player that's held him back in the past. And you know, we're going to touch on a couple of guys in a minute in Ubre and, and Tyler Johnson, who I think having them in the locker room has really made Booker take the next step because they're there supporting him, and yep. he's actually got guys now that he feels like he can have those conversations and and talk to the team and and get a response out of them. Whereas before. He's been, you know, talking to mostly very old guys or, or very young guys, and, and not having much of an effect. But he's clearly having an effect on eight, and it's a great segue into talking about the big fella now because you know their chemistry post All Star game has probably been the biggest positive for me. Obviously, we talk about Booker's health and things like that, but the two of them and the way that they've worked off each other in these games, people have even you know noticed and, and said on the timeline post this Rockets game that you know it's great that we were in that game till the end with without Booker and Aiton having you know great games as far as the box score goes. But I thought both of them really affected the game, even though their stat lines maybe at the end of the game weren't up to, to par of what we expect from both of them recently. I absolutely agree. And uh, I want to get a little more into uh, them as a, a one-two going mm-hmm. forward as your big question you had for us on this one. But uh, first I want to focus a little bit on Aiton. You got a, uh, into his improvements a little bit, but I, w- I want to throw to our first Twitter question we got from uh, Scott Martin at SmartPlace13. Mm-hmm. He asked us about how Aiton has performed relative to our preseason expectations. And first of all, I'm going to get a, a plug for our own podcast. And I think we're going to do a full podcast on this, David, uh, in the off season. A full like Aiton, uh, you know, after his first season versus what we thought he was going to be. We'll definitely do that and and look back at that that podcast that we had with Sam Vecini uh, all about Aiton and, and other comments that we made preseason on Aiton as well. And uh, you know, maybe we can bring in some special guests for that one too, Max. Yeah, hopefully the one you just mentioned. We'll see. <laughs> so we'll, we'll save that. But I, I do want to focus on what you've seen Aiton uh, differently since the All Star break. Yeah, Let, let's focus on that for now. What, what do you think has been like the the biggest things that have been different? If I had to put it down to one word, it's aggression, Max, and it's aggression on both ends. Mm-hmm. He's he's making the reads better, and we can talk about how the you know he's picked up the pace of the game, and that's helping him you know make those reads, particularly on the defensive end. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to aggression. That the amount of games that I've seen recently where he's had four or five fouls, like I want to see that. I want to see him yep. challenging guys, putting them on their ass. You know, it's okay to pick up a foul here and there on the defensive end. You know, that's totally fine. You know, the block that he had in the Utah game that was called a foul, like that was just a great defensive play where, you know, he he got the the off arm out a little bit and it it probably was a foul. It definitely wasn't a goaltend, but it was was definitely a foul. 
but aggression on both ends, and we're seeing it kind of play out on the offensive end too. He's demanding the ball. Uh, he's putting moves on now, which we were not seeing. I made the comment many times, those catches out on the you know low post wing, you, you could pretty much sag off him as the defender or, or even play right up on him because you knew all he was going to do was shoot the fadeaway jump shot. It was the only kind of thing that he had in his mm-hmm. bag. Now we're seeing him drop step, twirl, you know, get to the rim. And, you know, it only takes those kind of short moves from him and he's like a finger roll into the rim because he's so big. So I think he's just starting to, he's just starting to piece it all together, Max. That's all I've really wanted from him all season is to be trying things like that. Yep. To be more aggressive. And uh, the funny, I'm glad you mentioned the Jazz game because... I think people think I'm crazy. Like Dave King uh, and I got in discussion about this. Like I, I thought that was my my favorite game he's played all season. He gave himself an F minus. Uh, most of Suns Twitter seemed to think he was horrible, and I, I get that he was bad offensively. But like I loved what I saw out of him, particularly in the second quarter. Yeah, uh, reminded me of the Orlando overtime a little bit. He just was making himself felt on both sides of the floor. Of course, it was Rudy Gobert. He's he's awesome. He's gonna be tough to play against, but like. There were a couple times where Aiton got the better of him. Yep. And there were also a couple times where Aiton attempted spin moves on him and attempted things and it didn't go well, not necessarily, but I just want to see him try that stuff. There was one... Because that's the kind of stuff you need to do. There was one in particular where he spun around Gobert, pretty much had him beat, and then just bricked the the kind of one off the glass where he, yep. he normally has soft touch and he just kind of threw it against the glass and not sure it even hit rim after that. But, you know, he I think he shocked himself a little with that one and everyone was kind of a little bit scared of Gobert's length in that game but yeah I'm with you and it it was really interesting to hear his comments after the game as well because it kind of echoed a lot of what we heard fans saying about him and you know it's great that he holds himself to that kind of standard but I do hope someone's watching film with him and pulling him up a little bit on that and kind of going hey Mm -hmm. you, you tried stuff you were aggressive because we've seen with Aiton he needs repetitions in everything that he does and he needs in-game repetitions not just kind of training stuff and and you know walk through practice stuff so he's going to get better the more he tries this stuff so I really hope that there's someone in team meetings actually encouraging him for those things that he's doing rather than saying hey you know maybe you're not ready to do that yet because you you know you bricked this shot or you, you airballed that layup or you know whatever it was because yeah I'm with you I was really encouraged by you know him first taking a couple of bad fadeaway jump shots but then taking it to go bare because you know that's what we want him to do as a big man in the middle yep I, I don't care if he gets blocked or turns the ball over on 10 straight plays if he keeps doing that stuff yep I just keep doing that stuff that's that's just gonna make him great and the fact that he's starting to finally uh, do that kind of thing on offense, and the fact that you and I talked about this, David, DeAndre Ayton went from making zero of the little plays that you have to make to win a game to making like yep. a, a substantial amount of them now, like out of nowhere. It just it almost kind of feels like the game clicked for him, yep, in a way. And that to me was the the single defining moment for me in all of the time I've been watching DeAndre Ayton, and I've. I've been watching DeAndre Ayton since, so I, I'm a draft nerd. So I watched a little bit of him even before he was at U of A. Yep. I watched him at U of A, and I watched him through summer league, the Suns. The whole time, I've I've known he has the offensive talent. I've known all that stuff. I, I was always worried about that one little thing that clicking with him. He never seemed like he got basketball. And th- oh, since he also breaks, the first time I've really seen him start to really get those little things. And and the fact that that is a part of of him as a basketball player is. 
It, it could not be more encouraging, David. I am by far the highest right now on DeAndre Ayton than I've ever been. Yeah, this is something that you know I kind of had faith in the whole way through as we discussed this stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to lie. It's still great to actually see it. And, you know, it's great to see it this season, in his rookie season, yeah. particularly with how the start, you know, middle sections of the Sun season went. It, it would be pretty easy to kind of pack stuff in the bag and kind of go, oh, I'm just going to work on it in, in preseason and, and come back in year two. But, you know, we're seeing real strides from him. And, you know, all I really want to touch on with him is this is the part of the season, you know, maybe even a little bit earlier post all-star break where rookies often hit a wall Mm -hmm. teams have different motivations you know it's great that the Suns clearly have motivation to win as much as possible they're not sitting guys uh, like Aiton or anything to protect them at least not yet hopefully they don't you know do that all the way down the stretch but you know it's really great to see him kind of go the other way of of when what you're supposed to do as a rookie here and not hit a wall and you know post the all-star break really all he's done is kind of go about busting some of these myths that we all thought about him mm-hmm. uh, from earlier on in the season or before, you know, he maybe even became a pro. So, you know, the Miami game, I think he was largely outplayed by Whiteside. And, you know, we've seen him sulk in situations like that in the past. But, you know, he was really pivotal at the end of the game there. Like, he had that bucket from Tyler Johnson to, to go, uh, I think, ahead in the game. And, you know, he was, you know, out on the floor at the pivotal minutes and, and you know, played a part in that, even though his game overall wasn't great. And then we had the the Lakers and Milwaukee game where they you know had him guard LeBron and Giannis and he was a force on the offensive end because particularly the Lakers won they you know had Kuzma guarding him a lot of the time and that's kind of where we saw the aggression start to come and now we're seeing it against some of the bigger guys as well and probably just end the the Utah game even though we lost he was he was super aggressive in that one as we mentioned before and the Golden State one even though we gushed about Devin Booker before the chemistry that him and Booker had together in that one to kind of take over that game was was amazing and and the Warriors were guarding him very similar to the way that the Lakers were and you know he's kind of He's getting it now, Max. Like he notices when the other team is is playing a small guy on him. He knows when to duck into the paint. Yep. He's kind of reading the game a little bit. But Booker's doing a great job of showing him. I think I kind of cut a few videos where Booker's almost like leading him with his eyes into where he should be. But he's also making a lot of those reads himself now, which I think, as you said, he didn't have in his bag in college. You know, he he wasn't used to having to do that. And you know, he himself touched earlier after the Utah game that he's been watching a lot of film and credit to him and the coaches because he's definitely reading those things a lot better since the the all-star break yeah i totally agree and and another point that i'd make and this kind of touches what you're going on is i think one thing we're learning about deandre ayton is that he really feeds off what's around him yeah like I, he's not the i mean maybe he will be eventually when he's 27 he'll be the guy who sets the tone but right now he's not setting any tones the tone's his teammates are setting the tone for him, and he, he'll he'll follow that along. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the rest of the team has brought it up a notch has brought him up a notch. He he, I think one play in particular really demonstrated that. Uh, it's the one that you and I both posted it. I recorded it off my my shitty TV recording, and you actually posted <laughs> it. I'm not nice posting of it later. The Suns were up, I think, uh, four points in the second quarter, or something like that. Mikhail had a nice deflection, and DeAndre just runs across the entire court, runs back, like, uses his long arms to get a deflection. Then sprints all the way under the hoop and like stops to drive and pushes him to the baseline. Like this is a seven foot one man just like sprinting across the court back and forth, and it really shows you like two things. One, how you know DeAndre would never have done that in the in the first half of the season. I think that in large part because he just 
the energy wasn't there, you know? Yeah. The team, it wasn't bringing him there. And then and the other thing it shows you is just like why, why DeAndre Ayton really – the reason why he went number one overall is because of that. that. That is why he went number one overall because th- there aren't big men who can do that in the NBA. That, that's, that's a unique thing for DeAndre Ayton. And it will allow him to stay on the floor if you can if you become good at defense and, and, and constantly be doing that in the perimeter. Like mm-hmm. th- you you can't play him off. Like that that will be the single like most powerful weapon you can possibly deploy is somebody with his offensive efficiency and, and touch you can't play off the floor. It would be a ridiculous thing to have and in and, and moments like that are are when I uh, when I briefly forget about Luka Doncic and, and think, <laughs> you know what? Maybe DeAndre Ayton, maybe there's a chance that this actually does end up being the, the right guy. Yeah, I think that play in particular, it kind of epitomizes what we've spoken about with him in the past around having all the tools, but you know, not being quite sure whether he's going to be able to, I guess, have the motivation and also the IQ to kind of place them in the right areas. You know, I, mm-hmm. I purposely re-grabbed that clip after you posted it for that very reason, and I actually purposely freeze-framed it Uh, as Cephalosha caught the ball for three, because you can see Aiton closes out on the three first and forces him off the three-point line. And then, you know, quite technically follows him along the baseline, sliding his feet, makes sure he goes under the basket before he lets him go to another defender and then recovers to his own man for the rebound. And, you know, they're things that he wasn't doing earlier. Like, there's no way he would have shaded him all the way under the basket, made sure he didn't get the layup and then kind of released. He was making those... especially after he came from half-court three seconds before. Exactly. Yeah, he'd kind of, you know, we we had it with Aiton earlier in the year as well. It was like, oh, I made one good defensive play. I can mm-hmm, stop now. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's realizing in the NBA that that's not how it works. He's still having mental mistakes every now and then. But yeah, that play in particular, I think, was the perfect summary of tools being everything. But at the end of the day, you've got to know how to actually use them. And I think that's what we're starting to see from DeAndre. Could not agree more, David. This is fun. I think people are going to like listening to this. We're, we're very excited. <laughs> Time for the big question, David. You alluded to it earlier. Has our opinion changed on Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton as a one-two duo going forward? Uh <laughs> I'm going to say yes, but not not too much because I, I was very high on it. I'm going to throw Mikhail in as well because I just think he's been awesome and we'll get to him soon mm-hmm. as well. But I just think with what we're seeing from Book, you know, a healthy Book as a, a, a main primary option, what we're seeing from from DA is like a, you know, a two-way guy and someone that can affect the game on both ends and then you throw Mikhail in there. I just think building a roster around this team, even when you you've got the you know reputation that the Suns franchise currently has, I, I think it's really easy, Max. I just think time wise, age wise, with those guys, I just think it's going to be really really easy for a competent front office, fingers crossed, to put the right pieces around these guys going forward. Yeah, I'm glad you threw Mikel in there because I mean I'm I'm one of the higher people on Booker in general, so I, I, my opinion hasn't changed on him. He's just you know. This is confirmation bias stuff for me. Yeah. But uh, for eight and I, I mean, for all the reasons we've just discussed for the past 10 minutes, uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've become much higher at Aiton. You, to your credit, have expected these things to come. I've only hoped. And so now that I'm seeing them, uh, obviously it makes me higher on him. And, and really, if Aiton reaches that uh, perimeter defender thing that we want, combined with all the offensive stuff, if he reaches all of that, then there really isn't a better fit that I could think of than Booker, McKellen, and Aiton. Like, they complement each other 
effing perfectly. Yeah. So, man, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're asking my opinion change, yeah, only positively. And uh, it's exciting times, David. Yeah, basketball at the end of the day is a simple game, Max. You know, people try and overcomplicate it quite a lot, but I just think pure and simple, particularly what we've seen since the All-Star break and, and the chemistry that Booker and Aiton ha- seem to have on the pick and roll now. Uh, Booker, Aiton, pick and roll nice and high with McHale on the wing. Mm. Like, it just doesn't get any easier from a building an offense around that. And obviously there's counters to that and, and smart defenses learn how to defend things. But you put, you know, a fourth and fifth guy in there that are dangerous enough in the right situations. And, you know, as I said, very simple game at the end of the day. That is a kind of lethal play that the Suns are going to be able to call on in, in kind of crunch situations whenever they want for the next five, ten years around those three guys. It's incredibly exciting stuff. It's fun to be legitimately excited about this team. Shall we talk about the fourth and fifth options currently in the starting lineup, Max? Well, I was going to say, David, we've somehow we've gone this far without talking about the MVP of the NBA, Kelly Oubre Jr. <laughs> He had a great game against the Rockets that we just watched down the stretch, which which is a a perfect way to uh, discuss him and his effect on this team because he kind of showed it all in five minutes there at the end of the game versus Houston. He has great games a lot lately, David. Yep. Uh, One point I want to make about Kelly Oubre, because if you look at his uh, stats, regular stats or advanced stats, uh, they're not great. They've been better lately since the All-Star break, obviously, because he's been on fire. Mm -hmm. But just generally, they're not great. It's funny you mention that, because my first note is, interestingly, his per 36 numbers are basically the same as his numbers his entire career in his last year at Washington. So, yeah, it, it's really funny that you've kind of touched on that and I have early on with Oubre because there's, I guess, other reasons why you can get really excited with him rather than just the pure stats uh, in the box score. Yeah, I think well, here's what it is, because I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Why do I love Kelly Oubre so much despite him being you know, somewhat pedestrian statistically? Yep. And I think it's this. His stats all happen at the right times. Like, he, he makes the shots you, you need when you need them to be made. He makes the plays. Yep. All the stats come at good time. Like, for example, like, when you, when you have that, the block he had on Harden, like, shooting a three, and then also the poke away from Harden that should have won the game tonight, besides Josh X, and we'll get into that later. <laughs> you have that. You have the Bucks play on the sideline where he caused that turnover towards the end to basically win the game. Yep. That huge pull-up three against Golden State that he had that was just ridiculous. Uh, he just comes up at the biggest moments just consistently all the time. He also often scores with his you know his little driving thing, like when we need somebody to get a bucket more often than not. I just think the thing about him is if you just look at the stats, you don't realize that it, the impact he's having on the game is is much bigger than those stats. That's a great point and not one that I'd thought about, Max. So I'm really you know great. I kind of went the pessimistic view here with you know maybe Phoenix fans are just not used to high energy guys that are actually you know decent NBA players and we've all kind of fallen in love with him because of those things that he does but you're right maybe it's because uh, you know he's making winning plays at the right time that are winning games for this team and you know I would have loved for his defense on Harden tonight to result in a in a win because oh, he definitely deserved it and, and it deserved that attention so you know he's got a slightly better overall field goal percentage same rebound numbers as we said small uptick in assists since he's been with the Suns but just really it's a larger opportunity I guess on a worse team than what he was with those Wizards teams in the first three years of his career and or three and a half years of his career. And, you know, we're seeing a slight uptick in percentages, but nothing too big. But you're right. Great point by you. I think he's making plays at the right time. He's in those crunch time lineups for us. I'm really glad you mentioned the, uh, 
you know, stuff at the rim because he's shooting 41.8% of his shots max at the rim since the All-Star break. And wow. you know, I kind of stumbled across that because I just thought all I can think about with Oubre is particularly when Booker goes off the floor, he's he's become the guy that gets us a bucket when we need it. And it for most of the time, other than, you know, a couple of those ballsy threes that he's taken, it is just barreling his way, using his length and, and getting layups. And he's, you know, shooting 60%, which is around league average. But, you know, for him as a, a non-big, in those situations is is pretty good. So my question to you, Max, mm-hmm. is he the best cult hero since who? Ooh. Who 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 was the last guy that had this kind of reputation? You know, the the one that comes to mind for me is Raja Bell. Yeah, um that's you know, for different ish reasons. But I can't think of a guy. It's been a pretty depressing six or seven seasons here for the Suns, but I just can't think of a guy. Did PJ Tucker get that far? I don't think he was quite there. He wasn't quite that Ooh, below, right? Yeah, I didn't think of him. That's a great one, particularly after seeing him get in Booker's face tonight. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's probably the closest one. Now that I think of it, that that's a good suggestion. No, but you're. I love, I love where we're going with this. Kelly Oubre's approval rating is extremely high. <laughs> but I, being in the Sun Stadium for him, uh, other than my fiance's approval rating, which is even higher, <laughs> uh, the entire the entire stadium's approval rating was very very high with him. Uh, one, one thing before we get back to the seriousness, I want to point out uh, his Valley Boy is nicknamed for the Suns. I didn't love it when we were losing. I thought it was kind of corny, but when we're winning, I love the Valley Boys, man. <laughs> I'm ready for that forever. We should ride with that. Yeah, and you know, seeing Booker tweet it, yes. seeing the commentators talk about it, yes. uh, you know, it's all kind of piled into you know, and and winning, Max. It, it would have remained corny if we kept losing. I think, but yep. winning solves everything a lot in the NBA. So yeah, I'm I'm on board too. After probably being very similar to you, thinking it was a little bit corny, and we've tried to come up with a lot of nicknames for players and this team over the time when we haven't been winning. And you know, that's definitely one of the better ones, I think. I think so. Uh, let's real quickly get into a little bit of Ubre in the future here. Not not a ton, but a little bit. Yep. A couple of points here. So we'll, we'll, we'll put this in the in the frame of the debate on Sun's Twitter, which was weirdly came down to like, can we have Mikel and Ubre together long term? Mm-hmm. Which I think is a kind of a weird way to frame this because I think the answer to that is kind of obviously yes. Yeah, I think it's more of a, I guess it's more of like a, if you give Ubre a bunch of money, you can't start Mikel thing. But I don't really know if I buy that. Here's what I want to go into on this though. I think there's a lot of upside with Kelly Oubre that he doesn't have now. And even though I love him now, and I, I really do love him now, David, <laughs> I, I do acknowledge that if we gave him eighteen million dollars a year, it would probably it would be an overpay yeah. for sure for what he is right now. But he is so fluid with the ball for his size, like he really can handle. There's nothing broken with his shot, in my opinion. It just it doesn't mm-hmm. go in as much as it needs to. But, like, I mentioned the Golden State pull-up three. Like, he has some versatility to that shot. Like, the dude could shoot, I think. I'm not sure why. I, I think it has more to do with his shot selection than anything else. I think if he improves that, his shooting around the board will get better. I think you're, you're, you're right on with that point, for sure. I think shot selection is definitely the, the biggest negative against his overall numbers at the moment. It really is. It's sort of a Josh Jackson problem, except for not a, not a start. <laughs> uh, and then the passing, obviously, also. It's reminiscent of TJ Warren. He just The dude just can't pass. Yeah. And that would be something that we need to improve. But if he can just make, like, slight incremental improvements in that in those kind of things... The fact that he's that fluid with the ball in his hands at his size, with his wingspan, and particularly after we see the way he shut down James Harden tonight at the end of the game, like I think there's some upside with him lurking. That I think it, there's there's some stuff there, Dave. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with most of your points overall. Uh, I'm going to start out by saying I'm 
I wouldn't pay him $18 million a year. I'd let him walk. But I'm going to couple that with... I'm not as worried that the Suns are going to have to pay him that kind of money as mm-hmm. I seem to see on Twitter. You know, the the Shams tweet, I think, is what restarted a lot of this. And I see a lot of people having, you know, very clear opinions on the Suns are going to overpay Ubre or it's going to take X amount of money to, to get him back. You know, I've done a little bit of a dig on this. As we touched at the top of the episode, we're going to do a lot more off-season stuff in the off-season, and we'll probably cover this stuff a little bit more. But here's why I'm really not that worried. I think at his position and overall talent level, these are the guys in the last three or four off-seasons that have been paid uh, out of restricted free agency. Joe Ingles, Mo Harkless, Andre Robertson, Kyle Anderson, and Jonathan Simmons. Only a couple of those guys actually signed offer sheets with other teams, and they average out at around $10 million. I know the cap goes up a little bit. There's going to be lots of teams that have money, but you just don't see guys like Kelly Oubre have multiple teams clamoring after him to sign an offer sheet. I just don't think you see it. And with the Shams tweet in particular about him being a attractive restricted free agent or, or however he put it that he you know there was going to be teams aggressively going after him I think those teams are going to be playoff and, and contender type teams that are maybe offering him a bench role at you know maybe mid-level money or less to come to a winning team and you know at that point in time I think the Suns obviously match the money and I just think Ubre would prefer to stay on the Suns with the role that they're currently giving him rather than going back into a you know an insular role on a better team I think so you know I just wanted to make the point that I'm just not as worried as the general feeling that we're going to actually overpay him as I see a lot of people say I just think it's going to work out to you know maybe I'm being too optimistic but I think it's going to work out in the range where it it wouldn't be an overpay at the end of the day for someone of his skill set yeah I very much agree and while while you were talking about the Sham Sharania tweet I I quickly looked up Kelly Oubre Jr.'s uh, agent, who is Bill Duffy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might as well just call that Bill Duffy's tweet. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, that's where that came from. That's just his agent uh, drumming up interest. Here's the thing about Kelly Oubre. I really do buy that he wants to be here. It seems pretty genuine to me. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's a chance there's a little bit of like a... Uh, what, what's the way to put this? Like a reverse leverage thing going on here where it's like usually you try to get the, the market built up outside of your current team. But I think that maybe Ubre and Duffy are trying to get it to the point where like Phoenix loves him so much that like the front office thinks they can't let Ubre go and they have to overpay him. Yeah. Maybe that's what's going on. I'm not sure. But generally I'm I'm pretty optimistic. I would be surprised if Ubre is not on the team next year. Uh, and I think it'll be for something I my guess is fifteen million dollars. I think it'll be fifteen million, four for sixty. I think they'll agree to it in June. This is just a pretty good merit. Obviously, not only is Ubre, I think, like I said, the upside thing, but I don't think it's an accident that they're playing so well now that he's on the team. I think that he and Booker are like best friends now. <laughs> yeah. I think his his personality has just infected everything. I think that goes a really long way. For a team that's just down in the, down in the dumps or has been, his infectious energy, it's worth overpaying. I just don't think we can undersell, you know, Ubre and the next guy we're going to talk about and, and the effect that they've had on this yeah. team. Oh, you yeah. Know, we talk about Booker's health and, you know, Eagle finally getting some pieces to work with, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it's really these two guys that have changed things around. And I guess I'll throw the question out now, kind of sandwiched in between these two guys. You know, how important is it that they do bring Tyler and, 
and Kelly back because you know I think around fifteen million dollars is where I kind of cut it off for Ubre. Thinking realistically about it, uh, I don't think it's you know going to cost more than that, which is why I'm not overly worried about it. But okay. I think they're both culture setters, Max. I think they both fit the age bracket. Ubre's twenty three, Tyler Johnson's twenty six. They've both been very much responsible for the defense picking up in the starting unit in particular and, and flowing all the way through the team. And, you know, continuity-wise, I think as well, bringing back as many guys from this season's rotation into next season's, hopefully with a couple of added pieces, is actually really important rather than trading or letting both of these guys go and therefore needing to bring in two more bodies to the rotation next season. Yeah, real quick, I, I'm, I'm going to address that. I just want to shout out AZ Sports Zone on Twitter. He's the one who asked about the Mikel Ubre thing. Yeah. I think we both, uh, very strong yeses it works long term. And they're the two best wings on the team, so why wouldn't you bring both of them back and work out the minute stuff? And, Buy a lot. You know, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got into this. So, Tyler Johnson is an interesting thing here. So, I, I think that reasonably, uh, everybody's pretty happy about what he's been so far, right? Yep. Uh, everyone's pretty happy with the trade. He's been great. The thing about his con- his contract next year is really interesting. It's $19 million. It's one year. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. It's a son's do well in free agency. He needs to be gone somehow. Th- there's really no if ands, or buts about it. They can't do well in free agency and still have Tyler Johnson on the roster. It's virtually impossible. Yep, I- I'm with you on that. So what do you do then? So you, uh, you can stretch him, which I think is a pretty realistic... Avenue, if they get somebody good, say they sign, I don't know, Kimball Walker, just to throw out an awesome name that we're not going to get, but just throw him out. Mm-hmm. They're stretching him, right? Because that, that's $6 million next year and the two years after that. But if you sign Kimball Walker to a max, like you, you don't have any money left anyway for the next few years, so it's irrelevant if you have $6 million on your, on your thing. Yeah. So that's one thing to go with Tyler. But the more the more realistic thing here is that we don't get anybody huge. We we make some moves around the the, the edges. Mm-hmm. In, in that scenario, I think keeping I, I think Tyler Johnson, even though he's making way too much money, is is definitely somebody that you're excited about having next season. Yeah. I, I don't think you want him to be the starter. Like if he if he has to be the starter, he has to be the starter. But if he's just a guard off the bench, like imagine him being the sixth man instead of Jamal Crawford. Like that's just a, that's a ridiculous upgrade. Yeah, he's he's still not a natural point guard, even though he's a, a very decent fit with Devin Booker and has kind of shown that the type of guard that you want next to Devin Booker, hopefully a little bit more talented and a little more underpaid yeah. than Tyler Johnson's current contract. But yeah, he's he's a great first guard off the bench that can kind of play either role for you or that six man role. And you and I spoke privately about you know potentially getting him to opt out of his contract and signing him on longer term, which I think I brought it up and you kind of probably smartly talked me into the fact that it would be rather unrealistic, but uh, I'm going to just mention it and get it on record now in case it does happen, Max. But, you know, there is an option there to keep him around past this current deal, particularly if he is having such an effect. I think, you know, he's probably shown, as I said, the the prototype and, and what it can be like with a decent guard next to Devin Booker. So that in itself, he's he's kind of paid for himself with that trade in terms of just showing the front office, you know, what it can be like with a competent guard next to Devin Booker and showing us fans too. But, you know, I, I'm definitely all for keeping him around, particularly if they can't land one of those bigger fish in free agency. And he's up to 54 assists and 14 turnovers on the season. 
they quite often talk about on the broadcast he's the the number one pick and roll defender in the NBA on the on the ball handler in terms of you know the points that he gives up in those situations which is just smart scouting at the end of the day I think yep. one of the assistant coaches used to be his personal trainer and you know they're just using whether it's limited resources or not they're using him to their advantage at the moment with you know getting a guy like that in for nothing at the end of the day and I think it's really paid off well the dude works his ass off and the Suns knew that and the Suns knew they need more guys who work their asses off in, in this team. And uh, there are some stories about him, like, literally being at the gym, like, till like, his, like, fingers were numb or something. like. It's, like, yep. crazy, those stories. But So, yeah, that, that workout thing's great. And I, I love the, the, the stat you put in there about him being the best uh, at the point of attack and the pick and roll. That's awesome. Another point that I loved, and this is Dave King's second shout-out tonight. <laughs> but I loved his tweet here. It was uh, with, like, two or three minutes to go in the Rockets game. And he made the point that, like, the Suns' offense like really missed him tonight. Yep, he was settling them down so much over the past few games, and, and tonight it was noticeable that he was not there settling them down because they were discombobulated often. And, and just really, Tyler Johnson's not even really a point guard; he's a combo guard. I think yep. you probably describe him as, and mm-hmm. even just having the, the quasi point guard skills of Tyler Johnson, a real NBA player on the team, has just done wonders for this team. It's really shown you like. What's going to happen if they can somehow get a real point guard in here, David? Like, things will change fast, I think. Definitely. You know, I'm the king of the Tyler Johnson fan club, and I, I kind of want to see him around. And But you've got to, yeah, because of that contract, you've, you've got to look into the avenues of improving the position because, uh, yeah, I think ultimately he'd be the first guard off the bench on a, a you know, maybe a playoff team if, if the if the Suns are pushing that way next season. So it'll be interesting to see with him, but I, just, I wanted to give him a real shout-out along with Kelly Oubre because, I think the two of them have been the catalyst in this turnaround. As much as we raved about Booker and Aiton being the one-two punch here, I think they've just been perfect complementary pieces. And it came late, but the Suns finally nailed what those positions should look like you know, later in the season under James Jones instead of what they rolled out with at the start of the season. Real quick, I want to I wanna throw in because you brought him up. Do you think James Jones deserves to be the GM next season? Yeah, I think on everything available, I think we maybe even mentioned on the last podcast or the one before, you know, as soon as the trade deadline was done, there's really no reason not to implement him straight away. Obviously, there's been some reports that maybe Sava wants to bring in someone a little more senior over the top of him, but yeah, I think he's deserved the job uh, if they're not going to bring in a, an experienced guy like David Griffin or something like that. I'd rather go with the continuity that this team is having at the moment, and everyone seems to be on the same page with what their plans are. So yeah, I wouldn't be negative towards the Suns uh, you know, re-signing him as the, I guess, full-time GM going forward. Yeah, so that was at LeVar Ball Jr. who asked me that. <laughs> and I, I don't really know how you can not want him to be the, the GM. Like, what does he have to do? He's doing everything right. Yep. <laughs> uh, the uh, the Ubre trade has a 100% approval rating. Even if for people who don't want to keep Ubre would still say that was a good trade. And then the Tyler Johnson trade also probably has a 100% approval rating. So, like, those were his two big moves. Like, what do you? What else do you want? He's killing it right now. Yep. Uh, but let's go on to uh, David. I, I'm going to give you this little platform here. Uh, 30 seconds gloat extravagantly about your boy Igor <laughs> well uh, you know it's it's probably not time to gloat just yet but I, I will say that I'm really happy for him with that story coming out before the Miami game whether it was true or not the response since then has been awesome 
I think it all just comes to continuity. You know, I always had the faith in him as a coach, and now he's kind of got some pieces to work with. We're just seeing the Suns win some games and, and stay in a lot of other ones. So, you know, I harped on it a lot on this podcast and on Twitter early on. I just think it, it was easy for us to nitpick at him at a coach, but I think there was bigger problems with this team of why things went wrong, even, you know, from preseason onwards, essentially. But, you know, we're starting to see more wrinkles in the game plan and, and offensive stuff with Igor, which is cool to see. And, you know, I just think another off-season and training camp will be huge for him and, and the roster. Big reason why I want to bring as many guys back from, you know, this end roster as possible. And development, Max. You know, the big two things with him with were offensive scheme stuff mm. and developing young guys. And, you know, for all the stuff we've seen about uh, misuse of both Bridges and Aiton, I just don't think you can prop up those guys in the rookie seasons that they've had without shouting out the coaching staff for using them in the correct way at the same time. Yeah, you, you stole my thunder there. I was going to go right into that. The, the number one selling point on Igor Kokoskov was he was supposed to be a great developer, right? Mm-hmm. And, what, what I mean, what's the most important possible thing this season? In, in my mind, it was DeAndre Ayton becoming a better defender. Yep. Developing his defense. And, I mean, I, if you're evaluating Igor on that metric, I think you have to give him an A. DeAndre Ayton started the season, lost some defense, and now he's making plays on defense. Now he's running around. Now he's doing things. He's not perfect. He's still pretty bad in pick and roll in a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he makes mistakes, but, I mean, how much improvement can you expect? He's way the hell better than he was. Uh, and you point out Mikel. I think... So for Mikel, I'm not going to give Igor as much credit there because Mikel Bridges was came into the NBA knowing what he was doing. It was yep. more about acclimating himself to the game. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, it's not a demerit on Igor. I think Igor, player development-wise, has done an excellent job. I think, that, yeah, the rotations, I've nitpicked, obviously. <laughs> more, <laughs> more than nitpicked, that's probably a nice euphemistic way to put it. I do think the biggest problem this season has been Jamal Crawford, but I, and I think that's probably not Igor's fault. Uh, it's just my guess. But I, one, one thing, David, I, I do want to ask before we move on to Dragon Bender, who uh, is kind of relevant to Igor here. Yep. Did you shed a tear when Devin Booker credited Igor for the ATO? I got very, very excited when uh, our good buddy Chris <laughs> Koffel pointed that video out to me and then basically did a whole seven plays based off that one comment. So that tells you just about how excited I was. But, you know, I said all along the, the way that he was going to get fired was if he lost his key guys like Booker and Aiton, and he's managed to get them on side again with with this little resurgence with the team. And yeah, I'm just really happy for him. I think you touched on it there when the Suns were looking at a new coach. They, they needed a coach who was going to teach this team the correct way to play basketball. And then they also looked at their roster and how many young guys that they had. And they needed a coach and a whole team around him that were known for developing young guys. And I think he's ticked those two boxes. As you said, there's things with rotations, timeouts, all kind of head coachy things that he needs to get much, much better at. But as far as the priorities and the big boxes that needed to be ticked, I don't think anyone can argue that he hasn't ticked them this season. I can't disagree with that. I think I think now it's settled. I, I would be, at this point, totally shocked if Igor got fired. Just completely beyond shocked. It's not going to happen, right? Yeah, that Luke Walton story from earlier today, I'm, I'm calling BS on that one. Well, you know what I'm going to say? Did you read it, the actual story? The, the headline was deceiving. All, all the story said in it was, if the Suns move on from Igor, they'd look for Luke Walton. Like, they didn't say they were going to. Yeah. They're not going to. They're just, they're just creating headlines. Whatever. Not a big deal. But I do want to move on to Bender because one of the moves that Igor's made lately that I, I guess has worked, although it, it's questionable because it, it's not totally clear it's because of 
this move. But Drakenbinder has been starting next to Aiton lately, David, and it's it's coincided with the run. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the decision? How much of an impact has it had on this team? And I don't know, just give me your general thoughts on, on Drakenbinder. I think it's had a really big impact on the kind of makeup of the starting five and everyone being able to be comfortable in the role that they're playing, in, including DeAndre Ayton, you know, not being overworked down low and you know it's funny you look at the post all-star stuff when he's been a starter dragon bender that is he's only playing 15 minutes a night uh he's shooting 50 percent on 2.4 attempts uh only 1.7 three point attempts 3.3 rebounds not even one assist and 3.3 points per game so you know this goes well beyond the numbers you've got to be watching the games to really see what effect dragon is is having at the moment they just look much better defensively i highlighted in the utah game that specific rotation that the whole team had a very good play on that end of the floor with that video but dragon you know was key to that with two of his rotations getting in the way of uh, deandre ayton when he rotated out and then getting back to his own man so you know that sequence in a nutshell i think typified for me why the defense is just more solid with him on the floor and it is only 15 minutes a game which kind of people point out quite a lot you know is if he's really only starting each half you know what kind of a difference is it making i just think it's settling them at the start of games they're not getting beat up by a power forward you know from the get-go and throwing them off their rhythm straight away and it's just really helped the team get in a rhythm if i had to kind of nail it in one sentence max yeah you and i once again agree on this the thing about deandre Ayton, we're, we're very excited about him his defense is getting better He's not ready to anchor a small ball lineup against NBA starters right now. Yeah. He's just not. So even if Dragonbender is not that great, like just having him there with Aiden is helpful. It, it just settles the team down. I think it shows you why you want a Dragonbender type next to Aiden next year. Like you don't want to be starting two small forwards at the at the three and the four. Yeah. Next season, you want you want an upgrade on Dragonbender next to Aiden because that, like, and maybe eventually Aiden's going to be the kind of guy who you just throw in there and you can play anybody around him and he's a defensive force but that's not the case now and I, I totally agree with you it settled them down a little bit even even if Dragon Binder hurts them on offense it, they just seem to settle down on, on defense and just play somewhat consistently and Dragon Bender's allowed them to do that even if he hasn't been great on his own merit let's go ahead and move on though so Max Hodder on Twitter asked do we think Bender gets a real NBA contract next season? Uh, I think by what he meant by that was like not a two-way or something like that, which yep, that's uh, what, yeah. I'm not even sure if he would be eligible for a two-way anymore. I don't think he would be, actually, with the with the rules for those. But anyway, you know, I would like to bring him back on the Suns on a minimum contract. So I guess the question becomes, is anyone offering him more than that around the league? And, you know, maybe a team like the Spurs or someone would see the value in developing him at the end of their bench. And, you know, I think we've seen enough for him to suggest that he could still become a, a you know a decent NBA player he's not going to ever I don't think live up to the hype of being a number four pick but you know I think it would be really interesting to see whether it's the Suns or another team pick him up to play a small role on their team next season Max yeah I maybe this is a hot take I, I think I'd rather bring Dragon Binder back than Rashawn Holmes in a lot of ways yep I just like I, I like Holmes a lot I think he's going to make significantly more money than Bender. I think Bender has more upside. 
And yeah, I just there's some things about Bender that I still like. Like he had that drive tonight, David. Like the when he drive, had that drive against Houston, don't you like have that thought in the back of your head? Like mm, maybe there's something still here. Yeah, totally. And I think you know a lot of the time when he plays a good game or has a good highlight, a lot of people point to to Igor and say why wasn't he playing earlier? But you know I think again we need to talk about development here. I think you know if we think back to the Dragon Bender that played summer league this year and even those preseason games, he didn't deserve minutes at the start of the season, even if there was a gaping hole there for the Suns. Like he was a player with zero confidence that was just not belonging on an NBA floor. And I think the Suns built him up well enough to maybe take this starting spot later in the season. And, and you know, one knock that I do have on Igor is I think he's too stringent in things sometimes. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned before that playing the kind of small ball lineup around Aiton, I think that's why you draft Aiton and, and what you're eventually kind of hoping for with him, anchoring a defense that's kind of real switchy around him and, and really versatile on offense. But, you know, whether it was the Warren injury or whatever it is or not forcing their hand a little bit, you know, I've got to give props to Igor to finally making the change because it's it's helped the team a lot. And yeah, I'd like to see Bender back. A, a decent point with Holmes, which we'll get into later with, with him. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that in terms of Starting, I guess, with what we've seen from DeAndre, I'm starting to wane a little bit on whether you prioritize Holmes in the offseason. All right, we're going to get to the rest of the roster, David. But first, let's get to did you know for the first time in a couple of weeks, David? I'm excited. <laughs> well, Max, there's been a lot of recent chatter online about Kelly Oubre's upcoming restricted free agency, as we said. And although it died down a little bit, there was a lot of stuff about Terry Rozier earlier in the season too. So I thought it made sense to dive into a little bit of Suns history with restricted free agency agents for this episode. So Max, did you know the Phoenix Suns have a weird history with restricted free agency and offer sheets? In recent times, the Suns have acquired Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe, but avoided having to match offers by signing both of them before any matching needed to take place. They also acquired Isaiah Thomas, who was a restricted free agent, but rather than signing to an offer sheet, they did a sign and trade with the Kings. Early quiz, Max. Can you remember the very random Phoenix Suns player who was sent to the Kings in that sign and trade? Oh my God, no, I can't. I know it was like an $8 million a year deal. It was, it was something like, it was low, but man, no, I can't. I think they didn't need to worry about salary, but they did need to send someone. So Alex Oriaki, a 6'9 power forward selected at 57 in the 2003. 13 NBA draft was the one who went the other way in that one. Okie dokie. <laughs> but Max, back to some actual offer sheet scenarios now. In 2012, the Suns signed a certain New Orleans Hornet to a max offer sheet of four years, $58 million. Can you tell me who that was? His heart was in Phoenix, David, and he broke our hearts with some long-distance three-pointers tonight. He did. Eric Gordon, of course, a 6'4 guard who started his career with the Clippers and was traded in the Chris Paul deal. Gordon only played nine games in the 11-12 season before receiving the max offer from Phoenix. The Hornets ended up matching, and the Suns instead signed Shannon Brown. That's <laughs> just as good, right? <laughs> <laughs> But more interesting is all the ties from this time to the current day NBA and Phoenix Suns. The Hornets GM at the time was Dell Demps, who was just recently let go for his handling of the Anthony Davis saga. I thought it went so well, though. <laughs> he actually drafted Davis that summer. He also drafted Austin Rivers in that same draft hmm. and signed Ryan Anderson that summer, too. Both guys who have recent ties to the Suns. And on top of that, the Phoenix coach at the time was Alvin Gentry, who, of course, is now the coach in New Orleans. 
<laughs> but a question for you, Max. Four for 58 is 14.5 mil a season. You kind of alluded to it before, but will Kelly Oubre get an offer sheet elsewhere for that amount this summer? He will not because he won't make it there. Their sons are going to agree with him before that. I like it. I like it. Now on to a more successful story for the Suns, although they may have dodged a bullet with Gordon. In 2004, the Suns signed Quinton Richardson to an offer sheet of six years, $45 million. Of course, that deal wouldn't be legal under the current CBA, but not only that, the Clippers had 15 days to decide whether they would match the offer sheet from the Suns. They didn't in the end, and Q joined the Suns in the same offseason as Steve Nash. He only played one season, though, the great 04-05 run before he was traded for Kurt Thomas. Another question for you, Max. Richardson's deal was $7.5 million a year, which under next year's cap would be around $18.5 million per year. Will anyone give Terry Rozier close to that amount this summer? I don't think so. I hope not. He, David, I think he's actually underplayed, at least in Phoenix. He's been so bad this year. <laughs> yeah, he really has. I don't think he's getting close to that money, no. and hopefully not from the Suns. Well, the Celtics are going to have to sign him because Kyrie's leaving. So. <laughs> and, you know, Ainge loves him too, so he'll, he'll save the Celtics after Kyrie leaves. But <laughs> finally, Max, back to Alex Oriaki before we finish. He played in France, Israel, Lithuania, Italy, Venezuela, Turkey, Puerto Rico, Uruguay, and currently still in Mexico. Hmm. He even had a brief stint in the G League with the Erie Bayhawks and Shoe Falls Sky Force, where he just missed out on being teammates with Tyler Johnson in 2014. But you'll have to bear with me here as I unravel what I'm going to call the Alex Oriaki imprint on the 2019 Phoenix Suns in slightly longer than seven <laughs> seconds or less. Here we go. Oriaki was traded for Isaiah Thomas who was traded for a draft pick, which was traded for Marquise Chris. Marquise Chris was traded with Brandon Knight for Ryan Anderson and DeAnthony Melton. Anderson was then traded for Tyler Johnson, who was a member of the Miami Heat. It was two Miami Heat picks that were used to get Mikhail Bridges, who of course was drafted by Philly with the Lakers pick that Phoenix previously owned. Phoenix lost that pick in trading for Brandon Knight, They gained it originally by trading Steve Nash for two firsts that became Mikhail Bridges and Nemanja Nedovic, and two seconds that became Johnny O'Brien and none other than Alex Oriaki. (laughs) Did you get all that, Max? I did. That is quite a thing, David. This is is your specialty. (laughs) I think we can leave the listeners with that rather confusing riddle and move on to the second part of the episode, Max. All right. Thanks, David. I'm I'm glad you alluded to Mikel Bridges in that, because that's where we're going next, David. I I can't believe we're an hour into this podcast and haven't gotten to break out bridges yet because <laughs> people are going to regret us taking a few weeks off with the, the duration of this episode but uh we're going for it and let's uh not rob bridges of his time because he deserves you're it. welcome to listen to this in two separate weeks it's almost <laughs> you want guys so here's my question i have for you on Mikel bridges Mikel bridges is the best sons defender since dot 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 who Ooh. is this where pj tucker comes up again <laughs> <laughs> that that's my answer on that one too. He's been the answer for two separate things. We've thrown questions at each other, and they both land at PJ Tucker. That's that's amazing. On the same night we played against him, but I, I anticipated that answer because I agree with it, and I think it's the right answer. 
But I will say Bridges is different, right? The the reason why Peter Tucker is such a good defender is because he's so strong and so smart. Mm-hmm. And, and Bridges has the smarts. He doesn't have the strength yet. Hopefully, he gets there. But the difference, Bridges is a higher upside as a defender than Peter Tucker because those arms, David, those arms. Oh, the the length puts him above Tucker easily. Yeah. The, the reason that people love PJ Tucker is because he shouldn't be a good defender. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have the tools of the average, you know, wing defender that can guard, you know, five positions in the NBA. Like that's just not his kind of archetype, and he he kind of beats that with you know effort and smarts. But yeah, Bridges starts way above him purely because of the tools that he has, Max. Yeah, I totally agree. It's almost hard to even talk about Mikel Bridges because I just love everything about him. In fact, he did something uh, tonight that I didn't like, David. We talked about it, how he let the ball go out of bounds when he probably should have started the break instead yep. late in the fourth. And it was like weird and disconcerting to see Mikel Bridges do something wrong because <laughs> he doesn't do anything wrong. But uh, the one thing I would like to see from him going forward, David, and I, I want to see if you agree with this, I think he's capable of doing more on offense. Mm-hmm. I understand he's a rookie and he, the confidence maybe not not quite there yet. He misses some shots at the rim he should make. But I see him as being more capable off the dribble than I think he knows he is. And I also see him, like, he misses some of those bunnies at the rim. But when he starts putting those in, like, those arms just allow him to finish better than most people. I think I think there's some, maybe not in Suns' world, but in the general NBA world, there's some sleeping on Mikael Bridges' offensive upside going on. Yep, you have thrown me the perfect alley-oop here, Max, because my first and really only point on Bridges that I wanted to touch on is that you know, I've seen a few people up in arms about him coming off the bench currently. Mm-hmm. You alluded to before the stuff about, you know, if you pay Ubre, what do you do with Bridges coming off the bench, etc. I don't really care that he's coming off the bench at the moment, and here's why, Max. He's currently playing 28.7 minutes per game post the All-Star break. As a starter in like 40 games this year, he was averaging 30.6 minutes a game. So really yeah. no difference there. A couple of minutes. It, it really, it's a wash. It doesn't matter. And he is trying way more stuff since the All-Star break, Max. He's up to two free throws attempts a game, which isn't much, but it's up from 1.2. He's taking guys off the dribble a hell of a lot more than what we saw when he was playing that small role in the starting group. He's up to 45.1% from the field from 43%. He's up to 3.4 assists a game from 1.8. That's significant. Yeah, this is where you get into small sample size because I think he had, you know, an eight assist game against Miami or whoever it was. But, you know, 3.4 against 1.8, that's a jump. And he's also up to 2.2 steals a game from 1.5 pre-All-Star break. So it all boils down to he's trying way more stuff. He's more comfortable trying those things because he's in the second unit against lesser guys. And I think they're also tasking him with those roles in the second unit because they need guys to do that more so than what they did in the first unit. So he's top five in the NBA right now for steals, which is just absolutely fucking ridiculous. I know you're trying to stop swearing, but I'm not because it it definitely... I love it. David, you joining me. It deserves it, Max, because top five for a rookie in steals, this isn't one of those weird qualifying things or whatever. He's literally top five in the NBA for steals right now. And he didn't he didn't play for the first few yep. weeks. And him and Melton are in all the leaderboards when you start looking at per game steals, per 36, deflections, all that kind of stuff, which is a great luxury to have going forward. But I just wanted to yeah go on a, a mini rant there, so to speak, of why it really doesn't matter right now. And it's actually more important 
that he's in the second unit if he's trying all these things and then still finishing the game, which we seem to see in crunch time when the game's on the line. He's always out there anyway. Another thing I love about Mikel Bridges, you can tell he doesn't care if he's starting or not. Nope. Like, that, that, he doesn't care at all. That dude, I I think he, the Mikel Bridges, but, but if assuming like things don't like completely crater out with the Suns because the ownership or whatever... He's going to go down as one of the all-time favorites. Like, who doesn't like Mikel Bridges? Like, everyone else at least has... Booker has his hater sometimes. Aiton does too. Uber even does. No one no one doesn't like Mikel Bridges. Yep. He just wants to win. And again, I'm going to sandwich a question in here between these two guys because I think uh, it's the perfect... Uh, way you know gushing about bridges is exactly why we don't gush about Josh Jackson but you know one appealing thing about the prospect of Josh Jackson is the passing max but is Mikel already a better passer due to it being in a secondary role which is what it's always going to be for both him and Josh Jackson and the fact that he makes the right play every time rather than the flashy play max I don't know David how often have you seen Mikel Bridges throw the ball to their team just Completely to them. <laughs> How often does that happen? Uh, yes, yes, he's better than Josh Jackson. He's better at everything than Josh Jackson is. Uh, I'm sorry to be like stark and frank about it, but like he just is. He's better at literally everything than Josh Jackson is. Yep, and you know I commented before we started recording. Uh, I feel bad for Josh almost because of uh, most of my notes here on him are very negative. Um, and he also was having a kind of okay game against Houston before stuffing it up at the end there. But that's the Josh Jackson experience is he can't get out of his own way. And instead of being a Mikhail Bridges type that just does all the little things right, he just can't execute when we really need him to, Max. So let's let's start good with Josh Jackson and we'll get into the bad. Okay. I, I want to ask you a question. I'm actually serious about this, David. I, I have a real question for you. Is Josh Jackson an average three-point shooter for a wing now? Uh, someone, I think it was Matt Peterson, tweeted about this during the game that he's 45% in March, which, you know, I've done a lot of post-All-Star stats here for a lot of guys, but it is small sample size alert, and I've kind of been caught in that problem with Josh Jackson before. I'll answer it by saying he is a league average, wide-open catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, Max. Which is kind of all you really wanted from him early on, right? Yes. I, I yes. was talking with, uh, again, Common Creeper. I'm doing a lot of multi-shoutouts tonight. But uh, we were talking about, like, if, if you would have told us uh, around the time Josh was drafted or pre-draft that he was going to be... By the end of his second year, a you know arguably league average wing three point shooter, mm-hmm. we'd be like, oh yeah, draft that guy number one overall maybe or number two. Yeah, uh, it's the problem is just everything else. Uh, he he can't cut that dumb step back bullshit out of his game. Yep, it just won't go away. His decision making is unplayable. He he doesn't seem to. It's not just the passing, which is bad, and we 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 touch on that, but it's also like mm-hmm. it's the decision making around the rim. There are so many times when he could just easily score if he just went the correct way. If he went to the left instead of the right, or he finished with a you know a quick dunk instead of a long dunk. Just so many little tiny things that he just doesn't seem to have whatever that is, that little like instinct of, oh, here's how I can score without getting blocked. He doesn't seem to have that. Dude. Yeah, and the interesting thing with both Bridges and Jackson is in this nine-man rotation that they're currently playing, these two guys are getting the most minutes off the bench right now. and. Mm-hmm probably for very different reasons. Bridges, it's all growth, it's all development, trying to get him to try new things. Jackson, it's just that simple case of 
with the way that the season's gone, it's like you may as well play this guy 20, 25 minutes a night and just see if he can get better at certain things. He, but he's just not. Well, I tweeted this, I think, David. I'm, do you agree with this? If, if Josh Jackson weren't the fourth pick in the draft, if he were just like a late lottery picker or a late first round, he would not be playing right now. No, exactly. I, I don't think Igor necessarily wants to play him all that much either. He rewarded him tonight by putting him out there in crunch time because, as I said, he was having mm-hmm. quite a good game, and that's Igor's philosophy as a coach. You've got to reward these guys when they're playing well. But, you know, overall, I think he's, you know, he's out there being pushed by the front office of like, we need to see what we've got in this guy before going into the offseason. They're going to have the Dragon Bender type option to think about in October before the next season starts. And he just hasn't been able to get out of his own way. Um, I just hold little hope for him, I think, in turning things around now. There's only, I think, 12 games left in the season. And, you know, it's a weird one because his supposed skill set, as I said before, should help and suit a reduced role. But, you know, I think it's maybe a mentality thing. We've seen him at his best, in quotation marks, when he's kind of had the offense handed over to him at the end of last season and and when Booker was out this season. But he just can't seem to, you know, wrap his head around playing in that lesser role. And, you know, he gambles way too much and, and puts the team out of position, as you said, just does dumb things. And the overall stats on him are just not great. You know, the one positive I have for him right now, maybe outside of the little shooting stuff, is he's constantly on DeAndre Ayton. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's been great. And Ayton's mentioned that many a time in, in post-game quotes and things. But outside of that, I just don't see much reason for him being on the team going forward. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I agree with you. I think he thinks he's a star still, or at least thinks he wants to be a star. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I imagine that's really hard if you're 20 and the entire life you've been a star. You get to the NBA and you were the fourth pick. You expect to be a star. Mm-hmm. Your team markets you as a star. Every, that's the expectation. And you're just not. And all of a sudden, you, you got, you know, you're playing with Booker and Aiton, who are clearly better than you. You're playing with a guy who was just drafted at your position. Mikhail Bridges is better than you. You're playing with a guy who they traded for at your position, Mikhail Oubre, who's better than you. Yep. Like, I have to imagine that's tough. I get it. And I, I imagine he's still trying to show that he can be like on that level, but he's just not. And until he embraces the fact that he's a role player on this team, it's, he's not going to get any better. We'll see. I hope that happens. But let, let's do move on to uh, some of the future stuff with him and a couple questions on this. Like we actually have three mm-hmm. that are all related. So first, Eric Saffron asks, does Josh Jackson have any trade value right now? Relatedly, we have Jared Day 3 asking, what team can we trick into trading for Josh? <laughs> <laughs> and then Scott Coleman asking whether Josh Jackson's positives give him another shot with this team next season. So what do you see with Jackson both in the future uh, with other teams and with our own team? I would mention a trade I think that came at the deadline this year, which was Thon Maker for Stanley Johnson. I think mm. it became a little more complicated with the Miritich stuff, but originally that was the trade essentially. And that for me is Josh Jackson's trade value. I could see two teams mm-hmm. essentially trading draft picks, lottery picks, maybe from different drafts or the same draft where it's just not working out. I, I don't have the answer for who it might be coming back the Suns way, but that's his value right now, I think. That's really the only way that a team takes him is, is a trade of kind of prospects, I think, Max. Yeah, I think that's a, a good thought. Uh, and that's probably where I would have been before I listened to Zach Lowe talk about Josh Jackson. Yep. Did you happen to listen to that podcast, him and uh, Kevin Arnavance? I did, and he's made mention of it in a, a 10 Things article, I think, just before that as well. It sounds like most of the league thinks Josh Jackson's 
just awful. Yeah. And they're just off on him. Uh, I will point out that I think it was Kevin Artovitz who pointed, uh, who said that one of the executives said that if, if he had been drafted into their culture, then he would have been good. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe teams that think that think they can trade for Josh and rejuvenate him. Hands up, Danny Ainge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but if you're doing that, you're you're getting him at bargain basement price. I think that you're right. The Thon Maker Samuel Johnson thing is kind of a bargain basement price. But I think if Suns fans have thoughts of you know significant returns for Josh Jackson, even like. Josh Jackson plus for Lonzo Ball. Like, Lonzo Ball and Josh Jackson are in different stratospheres yep. right now in terms of value. Even, like, Dennis Smith Jr., I think, is in uh, another tier mm-hmm. that Josh Jackson is. Mm-hmm. I think you're thinking about, like, Frank Nielakina is who you're talking about. That's a great, that, that level, that's a great example because yeah. the Knicks, I think, you know, had interest in Josh Jackson around the draft and things like that. So, yeah. That, <laughs> Although that was probably Phil Jackson. <laughs> yeah. That, that nails what I'm trying to say in terms of a, a swap in prospects, I think. It, that kind of nails it on the head. And he might be in one of those bigger trades, as you said, but it'll be more for his salary rather than his value, I think. Which his salary? Salary is not that low. Isn't it like seven million next year? Seven million, that? and then they got to decide on an option for like nine max. Man, like that's a thing. That, that's a lot of money. Yep. To, that's a real decision, and it's coming at us fast. So it's going to be fascinating to see. It's sad because I like Josh Jackson as a prospect. I I think he does. There there is something there. I'm just not sure whether he's ready to unlock what's there yet. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to summarize it. All right, David, should we move on to uh, the guys who you described? I think this is the right way to put them. They're they're playing a little bit here. We can probably rapid fire through the the kind of last seven or so guys on the on the roster here, Max. Yep, agree. So we have playing a little bit. We have Rashawn Holmes, Troy Daniels, DeAnthony Melton, Jamal Crawford. Uh, real quick on Troy Daniels, two two quick things for you. Mm-hmm. The first one is. This is from Justice Scrub on Twitter, a newer listener who's awesome. Love the guy on Twitter. He's great. He wants to know, is there a fit with Troy Daniels on this team in the future? He's been cheap for us. We haven't used him particularly well. Uh, I think that might have been, to be honest with you, Igor's biggest mistake yep. this season. And I didn't even point it out. I was wrong about this. That he didn't play Troy enough. But is there a chance we keep him going forward? Would that be a thing that could happen? Yeah, I think Igor's admitted it even publicly that it's been, you know, a, a mistake of his not getting him more minutes. I think that's him actually alluding to what we we're talking about with Josh just recently of like, mm-hmm. I think he's got a few guys forced upon him at the moment that he has to play and it means that he can't play a guy like Troy Daniels. But, you know, the the, the baffling thing with his shooting is that he should be a guy that Igor would want to play and I actually wouldn't rule out them bringing him back for that continuity purpose. I don't think, you know, we saw no one traded for him at the deadline. I I don't think he would have huge appeal around the league. He is a great shooter, but he does have negatives on kind of defense and the rest of his overall game that I don't think he'll have like a billion offers coming his way. So, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. I I would put him and and Holmes kind of on level pegging in terms of coming back next year right about now, Max. I disagree with that, actually, and here's why. I think Troy Daniels, I think the Suns will want him back. I think that if Troy Daniels has an offer from literally anywhere else, he'll go there. Yeah. I I can't imagine being Troy Daniels and not being pissed about what's happened this year. Like, he has to be just watching... The, game, the team and be like, are you really not playing me right now? Yeah, it, w- it would need to be a very positive exit interview from Igor that basically said, look, yeah. you know, I couldn't play you because of XYZ, Josh Jackson trying to develop Melton and Okobo, uh, you know, being forced to play Jamal Crawford for whatever reason. Because he's best friends with James Jones. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, it would, yeah, I wouldn't rule it out completely, but you're right. I think if an offer came where there was any chance of playing time, he's he's bound to take it over Phoenix right now. All right, so you went to Holmes. Uh, let's talk about Holmes very quickly. 
I, fan favorite. I, I've liked him too. He's been really good. I think that yep. perhaps he's been a bit overrated by the Suns fans. I think he's very good. I, I think the energy thing for him, it really is just an energy thing. Yep. Whereas Ubre, I think, has more to, to bring. Let me ask you this. What's like the highest amount of money you'd really want to go for? That's homes? a great point. I think I've kind of talked about all year you know we kind of got up to mid-level money with him when we were very excited about him earlier in the year Mm -hmm. something I touched on earlier in the episode which is really my only point on Holmes here is I just think DeAndre Ayton needs to be playing 36 38 minutes a night uh, at his peak and you just don't pay a guy like Rashawn Holmes probably more than four million dollars five million dollars yeah um maybe declining because he's going to play less and less as Ayton gets better and better potentially Again, another guy who I don't actually think... I think us Phoenix fans scare ourselves into thinking these guys are going to have tons of offers from around the league. I don't think he would have... You know, he would maybe get plenty of offers around that money, but no one's going to come out of nowhere with crazy money for Rashawn Holmes, I don't think. I'm probably most impressed just in terms of how consistent he's been month to month, like above 60% from the field, around 1.1 blocks a game, 10 rebounds per 36. He's pretty much just done that the whole season, the whole way through. But I do think he is a little bit overrated. Again, I'm glad you mentioned that the Ubre thing from before is I just think us as Suns fans, high energy guys that, you know, I guess are consistent. We, we seem to fall in love with because we've, you know, been used to so many bad players on the team. But yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah we're living in a desert on that. I think right now the room exceptions like 3.5. The Suns didn't end up using it this year. That That's kind of where it is for me because he, he's a clone of what Aiton brings right now. Essentially, you'd probably want another other big that brings something different from Aiton so you can throw teams off when Aiton's not playing very well potentially and then and then Holmes is the kind of third big for you know replacing Aiton's minutes essentially so yeah I, I wouldn't go past four or five million dollars declining I don't think Max yeah I think we're in the same spot here um he's it'd be nice to bring him back I'd be happy to see him but it's it's not something that you know, I'm hinging my hopes on. Yeah. Let's move on. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Jamal Crawford and DeAnthony Melton, who I assume, <laughs> who I assume, David, you put together on this outline just to make me angry. <laughs> I've gotten to the point here where I have enough faith in Igor to, to know that he, he knows DeAnthony Melton's better than Jamal Crawford. It, I think that he's being forced to play Crawford. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to be honest with you, there's a, I, I, I could see the Valley Boys, who I, who I describe as being Booker, Aiton, Ubre, uh, Bridges, and Tyra Johnson, probably now, I guess they in, inducted him. I think they all respect Crawford and like playing with him and, and just think he's like their their father out there or something. Yeah. And, and I think they probably think he's better than Melton because they're little kids and they don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get that whole thing. And I think that's why that's all happening. But, man, David, it's it's frustrating. And <laughs> I, I, I really hope they don't bring Crawford back, David. It is. I, I'm not going to give Igor as much of a pass as you as this being totally forced on him because I think game to game we're seeing situations where he's actively putting Crawford in. I don't agree with it, but the difference for me, which I don't think a lot of people try and do, is is try and understand why he's doing it. And I think if you place him against a guy like DeAnthony Melton, I think the whole offense right now is built around pick and roll, getting into the mid-range, being able to make a shot or make a play from there. And I think that's why he leans on Crawford a lot in that second unit. Again, I want to state I don't agree with it. I think the other things that Melton bring are still more of a pro than that one thing that Crawford can still do from time to time. But I think that's why he's playing him. And you touched on it before. They missed Johnson tonight stabilizing the team. And I think that's another reason why he gets Crawford in there sometimes for extended minutes just to kind of 
get the team into their offense, slow things down a little bit. But there's just so many negatives to his game that it's kind of like beating your head against a brick wall watching him go out there and, and play extended minutes. My only note, again, I don't want to touch on it too much, but I just think with 12 games left, it'd be a real shame you know, for Crawford to keep playing over Melton for the last 10 or so games. I just think uh, there's no reason for it. I, I wouldn't have thought Crawford's coming back other than maybe being an assistant coach or something like that. And, you, you know, Melton's going to get more out of 10 or 12 games to finish the season than what the Suns are going to get out of Jamal Crawford playing those minutes, Max. Yeah, I wouldn't get too hopeful on that. I think we're going to see Crawford the whole way through, personally. Yeah. But let's move on because that's depressing. Uh, <laughs> David, real quick, uh, I want to finish on TJ Warren with our player thing because that's actually a real a real player. Yep. We're gonna get into the not playing at all players though. So let's start with Elliot Kobo and, and uh, Ray Spalding. Do you do you want to real quick touch on those guys so we can mention them? Yeah, I mean Okobo, it's just there's just no room for it. If there's no room for Melton, there's no room for Okobo. So they'll keep sending him down to the G League. Yeah. I think it was an interesting point that you made earlier this week. It's frustrating that Okobo's on the four-year deal and Melton's on the, the two-year one that's going to come up after next oh, season. God. So that's all I'd touch on with that. Although, wait, 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 stuff quick, just... I do want to give the hat trick real quick to Creeper. He made one good point. The, the one way that works out well for us is if Melton doesn't break out in year two or breaks out in year three. Because we might be able to get him on like an amazing contract after year two and he breaks out year three. That's the one way that works out well for us. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, Ray Spalding, just because we haven't podcasted for so long, that was a bit of a weird signing. You know, they've got a non-guaranteed year in there for next year, which I guess is just smart business. A few people have pointed out it might be a favor to Terry Rozier's agent, uh, who really only has those two players on his books. But we haven't really seen him, so there's really nothing to talk about there. And that takes us to TJ Warren, which we're in this weird injury situation and not the first time with TJ Warren, Max. Has anyone alerted the sheriff's department that we have a missing person? <laughs> About a month ago on Twitter, I posted something like, this TJ Warren situation is getting weird. Like, he's still gone and we've had no updates. David, he's still gone uh, a month later, and we still haven't had very many updates. What's, what the hell's going on? As I said, it's not the first time, and it's not the first kind of unexplained one either. There was the head injury one that kind of lingered for quite a while, and they couldn't get an official report out of the team for what was actually keeping him out of games, and this one's just been a sore ankle the whole time. I will say one thing. If he wasn't on the bench for most games, smiling, clapping the team on, I'd probably speculate more on what the actual reason for this is. But the fact that he seems to be around the team, maybe it is just this really weird injury thing that, that's going on. But yeah, it, the fact that it's not the first time is, is really weird. And you know, I would have loved to see him kind of come back for 15 games and play off the bench because you know that might have given us a little bit of hope for him staying around next season max but last thing i'll touch on before i throw for for your points on warren is as i've said on twitter a couple of times he still needs five three-point attempts to get that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar <laughs> bonus so that's maybe why he hasn't been officially shut down for the rest of the season yet, Max. You and I have both speculated that he might come back just for the last game just to shoot five three-pointers. Look at that. Uh, yeah, and maybe like just for, you know, maybe three minutes at the end of the game as well and just kind of, you know, make well, it Well, it'll be at the beginning of the game to make sure it gets him in, but <laughs> it might be five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So LeVar Ball Jr. again asks, what do we think about uh, T.J. Warren's fit going forward next season? Are we better off just letting this current team gel? Man, T.J. Warren, we could do an entire podcast about T.J. Warren alone, David. We really could. Yep. So I, I don't really want to just get too much into it because like, it opens an entire Pandora's box. But what I'll say about T.J. is I think that 
Mikel and Ubre have pretty clearly cemented themselves as the the wings we want going forward. Yep. And even if there's a third, it's probably just trying to pray for Josh Jackson to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, T.J. Warren is not long for this team. I won't be surprised if besides that five-minute stretch where we let him shoot five three-pointers, that's, that he's never playing again for the Suns. Yep. I won't at all be surprised by that. I actually think that the the, the kind of the half-joking prediction I made earlier this season that we might end up trading him into cap space after a team misses out, I think that might actually happen. <laughs> yep. It wouldn't shock me at all. They need to make space if they're going to uh, put more players in this roster. So Yeah, and if they if they pay Kelly Oubre, I think that's a, a really early shout on what could end up happening with TJ from you for sure. If they paid Kelly Oubre over $12 million a year, TJ Warren will not be on this team very long. I guarantee you that. Yep. I think that the answer, I would be shocked if he's on this team in two years let's put it that way so that, let's leave it with that David I think TJ Warren not worth putting much more time into because we neither of us thinks he's going to be a team very long yeah I would have just loved to see him I, I've never you know considered myself smart enough to project these things you know too far I, I love to see things it, it would have been great to see whether he took on the role in the second unit because it would have given me a little more hope for him in a Phoenix Suns uniform next year than what I've currently got. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be fun to see him play for a different team. Uh, Hopefully he's on a good team. (laughs) I want to see him on a good team. I want to see what that's like. What is CJ Warren like on the Indiana Pacers in the playoffs? I would love to see that. Yeah, whatever's going on with this injury thing doesn't help his trade value at the same time, though, Matt. No, I don't think his trade value is very high, but let's not get into that right now. David, is it time for seven seconds or less? I believe it is, and I believe it is my go if you want to quickly run through the rules for us it is your go yeah so seven seconds or less is a segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has seven seconds or less to answer and has not prepared for in advance david i am ready we've talked a lot about the core max you know in this episode and we also have tried to avoid off-season talk Mm -hmm. too much so i'm going to throw it right in at the end here maybe a little bit more extended than what we touched on during the episode and tease into a few topics that we might have once the season's over but i want to see your feeling around the core next season and how you would push the chips in. So I've got three scenarios for you from the draft, trade, and free agency windows. Number one, the Suns land at number four in the lottery. Zion, Barrett, and Morant go one, two, three on draft night, and no one is offering anything worthy of a trade (laughs) after that. As the GM, you're happy with the projected starting five that you've got going on, you know, promise from free agency and things, and, and guys coming back. So you're going to just draft a guy to play maybe behind in the second unit and develop them slowly. Who do you take, Max? That's just a mean question, David. <laughs> uh, Jared Culver for me. Yep. Uh, I just want uh, adults on this team who know how to play. I think reminiscent of Mikel Bridges. I just want somebody who can like play basketball Great point. to play for us. And that, that's my answer. I like it. And uh, I just wanted to yeah tease the fact we'll be doing a lot of draft stuff once the season's over. So we'll have a lot more project type opinions when that happens but Max we've kind of done this one before but Phoenix try and fail to dump Warren's deal in the offseason so instead they decide to see what better fit might be out there for around the same money and someone that might take TJ Warren so would you trade him for these guys I just want a yes or no there's quite a few of them so we'll run through them quickly okay Courtney Lee, one year, 12 million. Yes. Patty Mills, two years, 25. It's two years after this year? Oh, um, 
yes. Uh, this one does change quite a bit since I wrote it because of what happened today, but Dante Exum, two years, 20 million. <laughs> you might have wrote me on that, David, before today, but in case everyone doesn't know, he's he tore his patellar tendon, so uh, that's, that's a no. I'm sorry, Dante Exum, that's sad. <laughs> Myers Leonard, one year, 11 million. No, and I saw, I love Jeff on Twitter, Jeff Howard. What the hell? Myers Leonard sucks, doesn't he? I thought he sucked. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to politely uh, disagree with Jeff on that one. Uh, Will Barton, three years, forty million. Uh, no, because that contract's bad to me. But oh, yeah, no. Norman Powell, three years, thirty million. Man, this is tough. I, 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 these players suck. Uh, no, I wouldn't do it. I don't think Norman Powell's bad. Tony Snell, two years, twenty-three. Another guy who's bad. Shorter contract though. Maybe fits better. No, I don't think I do it. No, I don't do that. And some really bad contracts that I found to end here. There's three of them. Larry Nance, four years, $45 million. Oh my God, that's a contract? Jesus. No. <laughs> this one really shocked me. James Johnson, two years, $31 million. Ooh, that is... Ooh, uh, no. <laughs> and Dion Waiters, two years, 25. Uh, that's actually closer for me. Uh, no, I don't think so. Just because I'm worried about what Dion would do. But, <laughs> man, that's actually David. I, that was a fun segment because you made me hire on TJ just with that segment. I successfully found a lot of players that you would keep TJ Warren for. So that is I'm quite gonna, an accomplishment. <laughs> that's a tick. That's a tick. All right, last one. The Suns have 15 mil in space currently. They do manage to dump TJ, as we mentioned before, and they also get rid of Josh Jackson as well. So they get up up around the 30 million mark in space, not looking at their draft pick. Maybe they traded that for something as well. We won't go into that, but they're looking to roll out the current core that we've really discussed in this episode, minus Josh Jackson. You can either spend the money on one guy like Jimmy Butler or Chris Middleton, or for the same money, you can add Miritich and Rubio. What would you do, man? So it depends on the guy. I, I don't. I don't want to add Jimmy Butler. I know I was on that earlier this season. I'm not now. Like, if you can't fit it in Philadelphia and you're still having problems, like what, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> so I, I'm out on him. Uh, Chris Middleton. I think I would rather have than those two guys. I think he's just really, 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 really good. And uh, you always go for the best player than the two guys you make up with them. Uh, but I would take Rubio and Miritich over Jimmy Butler, I think, which may sound crazy to some, but I just think those two would just, if you're looking for the, the perfect guys to fit around Mikel, uh, Aiton, and Booker, that, that's kind of what you're looking at. Yeah, I, I purposely went under the first tier of Max guys with, with my choices there. So Middleton, I guess you go in Booker, Middleton, Bridges, Ubre, Aiton. That's kind of fun. Uh, yeah, let's. I'll watch that. That sounds pretty <laughs> fucking good to me. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, you're going Rubio, Booker, Ubre, Miritich, Aiton, and Bridges off the bench, perhaps? I don't know. That, or, that's, or the uh, other way around, Mikel and uh, Ubre. Yep. Yeah, you can go either way. All right, that, that's my questions for the week. That was a good one. I like that one. All right, I guess that's it for us. Please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. David, do we have any new reviews during our absence? We do. We got a random one from Romp Oz, who's obviously catching up on some episodes here in Australia, and he said, best son's podcast out there bar none, which was very, very nice of him. So uh, the next reviewer has to up that one, Max. And we've gotten no U.S. reviews in that time. So if, you, if you're if you from the United States and you post a review before we do our next episode, we will read it. 
on air. I'll read it. Yep. David, anything else? I've got a quick game for you, Max. Okay, let's do it. I predicted eight wins post the All-Star break on our last episode with Callan, and you both... Oh, what did I say? Three? Yeah, you, <laughs> you groaned at me. Uh, we're already at five. Wow. So, quick win-loss from you on these, please. Very, very quickly. Let's do it. I'm excited. Let's do it. At the Pelicans. Win. Versus Chicago. Win. Versus Detroit. Loss. At Sacramento. Loss. At Utah. Loss. Versus Washington. Win. Versus Memphis. Win. Versus Cleveland. Win. Versus Utah. Loss. Versus the Pelicans. Win. At Houston. Loss. At Dallas. Win. That's seven wins from you, Max, to add to our five already, which takes us to 12 post All-Star. And, and David, I'm not the guy who just says wins for no reason. I know, I know. I actually thought those were wins. I tweeted that earlier today because I just noticed that the schedule gets really light, particularly with some tanking teams and stuff at the end. So I think the team has a real chance to go 500 post the All-Star break, which would be quite an accomplishment from where we've come from, Max. Well, David, I just can't wait for us to get to the four spot and have a 12.5% instead of 40% chance to get Zion. <laughs> and everyone complains about that like it's the end of the world when really it's just a 1.5% chance if we got a lot better as a team so yeah <laughs> all right well thanks everyone for listening uh thank you david for joining me it's fun i'm glad we did this again david it's been two weeks it's it's, it's almost fun to do it at, uh, after a little one while it is and we'll probably get another one in before maybe another mini break we're both quite busy at the moment and just trying to get these in when we can, but it certainly helps when the team's playing better, Max. Yeah, if the team keeps winning, then we'll probably do it more often. Thanks, guys. <laughs>